I'd like to say that it was all a dream, just a nightmare of the Beltway bandits. No, the debt crisis death spiral goes on. They're on the Debt Star, as they're calling it now. Yes, this is Peter Bergman. You're listening to the Radio Free Oz daily podcast that we like to call Everything, everything You Know Is Wrong. Well, you know, maybe everything we know really is wrong. Who would have expected this kind of, oh, this, this bad, dumb show to go on in Washington and put everybody at risk? But there it is. And according to Bloomberg Businessweek, the debt crisis is worse than we think. They say even the $4 trillion grand bargain on debt reduction hammered out by Obama and Boehner, a deal that collapsed nearly as quickly as it came together, would not have gotten the U.S. where it needs to be. A June analysis by the Congressional Budget Office concluded that keeping the U.S.'s ratio of debt to gross domestic product at current levels until the year 2085 to avoid scaring off investors would require spending cuts, tax hikes, or a combination of both equal to 8.3% of GDP each year for the next 75 years versus the most likely alternative scenario. That translates to $15 trillion over the next decade, or more than three times what Obama and Boehner were considering. Well, what do you know? But you know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, how did the deficit get this big? Well, here's a terrific story, which I'm going to quote in depth by Teresa Trich in the New York Times. She says, with President Obama and Republican leaders calling for cutting the budget by trillions over the next 10 years, it is worth asking, how we got here from healthy surpluses at the end of the Clinton era and the promise of future surpluses to nine straight years of deficits, including the 1.3 trillion shortfall in 2010. The answer is largely the Bush area tax cuts, war spending in Iraq and Afghanistan and recessions. And from my own take, remember, it was an illegal, deadly war in Iraq. He's a war criminal and should have been impeached. Okay, we go on. Despite what anti-government conservatives say, non-defense discretionary spending on areas like foreign aid, education, and food safety were not a driving factor in creating the deficits. In fact, such spending, accounting for only 15% of the budget, has been basically flat as a share of the economy for decades. Cutting it simply will not fill the deficit hole. And she said, okay, in 2001, President George Bush inherited a surplus with projections by the CBO for ever-increasing surpluses, assuming continuation of the good economy and President Bill Clinton's policies. A dream. But every year starting in 2002, the budget fell into deficit. In January 2009, just before President Obama took office, the budget office projected a 1.2 trillion deficit for 2009 and deficits in subsequent years based on continuing Mr. Bush's policies and the effects of the recession, for which he is also responsible. Mr. Obama's policies in 2009 and 2010, including the stimulus package, added to the deficits in those years, but were only temporary. Also, we see that under Mr. Bush, the tax cuts and war spending were the biggest policy drivers of the swing from projected surpluses to deficits from 2002 to 2009. Hey, there you go. As we say, Nuff said it was W that put us here. And of course, we've got all these wonderful conservatives who just want to forget that they voted for all of that. 
all of them. Ryan, Mr. You know, uh, walking the plank to prosperity, after dinner, dement. All of those bozos voted for it. They just want to forget. Okay. Let's say we go into default, and it's a real possibility, unless uh, Obama takes the 14th, and he's taking the 5th on that right now. Which bills do we pay? Washington lawmakers are still trying to figure this out, how to balance America's checkbook, but without a plan by next week early, the Obama administration will have to make some tough choices about how to keep the lights on. Well, what will it look like? Well, the Treasury makes about 80 million payments each month, but without the authority to borrow money, the government would rely solely on incoming revenue, meaning it could pay only about 45% of its bills. It wouldn't take long to feel the pain. On Wednesday, the government expects 12 billion in revenue. Hey, I wish I could expect 12 billion in revenue on Wednesday, but has 32 billion already committed in payments, mostly social security checks, which are mailed at the beginning of each month. The next day, August 4th, only $4 billion would come in with $10 billion promised to defense vendors and other social programs. Well, I think we can just mark off the defense vendors right now. I mean, I think they've got a, a bit of a sinking fund, and we're sinking with it. For the month of August, Uncle Sam will have $172 billion coming in, including income tax, property tax, and estate tax, and $307 billion in obligations, according to an analysis by the Bipartisan Policy Center. With that gap, the Treasury Department would have to pick what gets paid and what doesn't. Okay, here's a couple of ways to arrange the puzzle. Try this one. One is to fund only big ticket programs. Medicare, Medicaid, 50 billion. Social Security, 49 billion. Unemployment insurance, 12.8 billion. Defense vendors, they slip in at 31.7. And interest on the debt, 29 billion. All totaling 172 billion. But that would leave everything else unpaid, including military pay. Hey, boots on the ground, no bucks in the pocket. Federal salaries, bureaucrats go home and grieve, and IRS refunds. Oh, the Koch brothers don't get back their billion-dollar check to spend on... I think they're going to trickle it down on us. Well, that wouldn't be terribly popular. We could try uh, dropping defense uh, vendor payments, and then we could pay for food and uh, nutrition programs at $9.3 billion, tuition assistance $10.4 billion, low-income housing at six seven, assistance for veterans $2.9, but still left in the cold would be maintenance of federal highways at $4.3 billion, health and human services at $8.1, and the Department of Education at $6.2. Well... That's no fun. And even more of a no fun fact is that August is generally the worst month of the year for incoming revenue. Slowdowns in productivity, mostly due to vacations, means less tax money coming in. So the $172 billion expected between August 3rd and 31st is actually lower than the usual $180 billion per month average. Not a great starting point for what could grow into a massive problem. Tell that to the club for unnatural growths. Let me burden you even further with more depressing facts. Let's look even more darkly through the flat screen. We've got the problem of health care costs. Here's something to think about during these debates over Medicare cuts. You know, the, the, the Democrats can't make up their mind. It looks like Obama's willing to put in on the table. It's like putting the patient on the table and saying, well, we don't have enough money to do all of this operation. Let's open them up, take out half of that lower ventricle, and then just leave them there because we're running out of bucks. Okay, Medicare's Office of the Actuary forecast that the nation will spend $4.6 trillion on medical bills in 2020. That's one out of every $5 in the economy. That's a big deal. 
State and local government spending will account for just under half the total, but despite insuring 30 million new people, President Obama's health care overall won't increase costs significantly. Most of the newly insured are young and relatively healthy, probably obese, but relatively healthy. The main drivers for the increase in costs are the aging population and the expensive medical innovations. Healthcare spending is expected to top $2.7 trillion this year. That's $8,650 per capita, or $1 out of every $6 in the economy. So, not getting the best results in the world. We don't have the best healthcare system. We're still spending $8,650 per person in the United States. What's wrong with this picture? And before I leave you, let me hip you to what the GOP is trying to do to our environment. Let's remember, these people are not only insane cut cap and balance ayatollahs, they think that the only way to bring jobs back is to ruin the environment by cutting back regulations. They're just puppets for the Koch brothers who are big oil polluters. But look, not everyone in Washington is focused on the debt ceiling. House Republicans have tacked down at least 39 riders under the under an appropriations bill, each designed to curtail an aspect of environmental regulation. Get these. One proposal would prevent the Bureau of Land Management from designating new wilderness areas. Oh, that's nice. Look over there, that beautiful piece of untouched land with all those habitats. No, it's not wilderness. It's a future RV park and toxic pollution well. Another of these amendments would prevent the Department of Interior from policing mountaintop removal mining. You get up in the morning and the Grand Tetons, they gone, at least the teat part's gone. Yet another would allow uranium prospecting near the Grand Canyon. Gee, Grandma, how come you look so strange after coming back from the Grand Canyon? There was even a proposal to forbid any new plants and animals being listed as endangered until several Republicans broke ranks and tossed it out. Obviously, animals that are being extincted, well, they're just not predetermined to be with us. God has turned his face from those beasts. Well, it's unlikely that all 39 proposals will pass, but Democratic allies worry that some will make it through the negotiation process. Yeah, particularly if the Democrats come to the negotiating table as they have been for the last couple of months, waving a white flag and bending over and letting it happen. You know, I used to think that the Democratic Party really had our best interest at heart and was really ready to go to the mat. But you know, it proves once again that everything you know is wrong.